Amen. Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. If you have God's word today, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. And we're going to spend some time there today and probably the next couple of weeks as we focus on a, a new series. In fact, it's interesting as I was I was thinking here, as I was saying, man, I hope I've never said anything to offend anybody. And now I'm going to talk about money. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's always a little dicey when we do that. We talk about money or, or giving, really tithing, uh, because you, you want to be truthful enough to you know, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak, right? But, but you know, not offensive. And so I just uh, thank you for your patience with me uh, as, as we move into this very serious topic and really a biblical principle in regards to the idea of tithes and offerings. Um, I, I'm thinking of a man who's been a churchman his whole life. I mean, this is a man that I know personally is a Christian man. He's raised his family, his wife, his children, you know, in the church and, and raised them as Christians. He's a man that paid his tithes. He's the man that served on the church board. He's the man that, that taught Sunday school for different age boys. And, and in fact, even when the church was smaller and did not have the money to pay for a student ministries pastor, a youth pastor, he, he was the volunteer, you know, youth ministries or student ministries director. He, he was a man that was, you know, a real churchman. He was also an engineer by trade. Let's hear it for the engineers, okay? All right. He was an engineer by trade. And... uh he had, uh, was a part of launching three successful businesses, and, and uh, two of them he was with quite a while, I think maybe like 20 years apiece almost, or, or something like that. And then the last one he launched the last few years, maybe five years before retirement, and he launches this last business in, in about the age of 65 to 67, sometime around then, I'm not sure exactly which year it was of his life. He had started this business, had been rolling now for five to seven years, something like that, and and, and we get a phone call and he tells us how we should pray because he just learned that his two partners that he started the business with were dirty and they had literally emptied all the accounts of the business and left the country. Leaving this Christian man that was paying his tithes on a regular basis, faithful to God, serving the church, a great churchman, holding the bag of about $1.8 million, outstanding bills. Since he was the only one that was present, he had to go face you know, he had to go face the judge and he explained the scenario, but it didn't matter to the courts. And so he had to take a house that was paid for and mortgage his house and put a loan on his, his truck on a couple of other things. He had just inherited a chunk from his father and mother. They had passed away. And, and so he had inherited several hundred thousand dollars there. He had to give all of that to the courts and he continued to pay his tithes. <laughs> You know, this is not an unusual story. In fact, it's just a different plot, different narrative for some people and, and some some lives because life is hard. And sometimes, you know, Victor, sometimes life blindsides us because it's challenging. Sometimes life is not fair and he still paid his tithes. True life is is like this. Especially in a world that we recognize that is very temporary, a life that is temporary. And I get it, I understand that a man or a woman is to give a fair day's worth of work for a fair day's wage, as the scripture says. In fact, there's a place in Proverbs that talks about not being a slothful one, which means being lazy. That we are not to be lazy, we're not to be a slothful one. Another place in the word we read, a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. But there's only one way I guess this is what I want to say. There's only one way to build real security in this world. Because really, we will never know whether 
the company will be in 10 years from now, or we'll never really know what the next physical is going to be like, or, or we're, how we're going to be physically five years from now, or even one year from now. Because there's not much security in this world, and everything is so temporary. I mean, where do we find security? Is it in the unsinkable ship? Or maybe tall towers that are built strong or even a crowd of thousands of people. There, there is no security in this world. In fact, I believe that the number one selling point of Christianity is the absolute security and the love that we have in a loving father in heaven that became flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross and died on the cross for us so that we might have everlasting life. That is what is secure in this world. Amen. The truth. Here's the truth. The more we discover the riches of heaven, the further we move away from the poor uncertainties of this world. Let me say that again. The more we discover the riches of heaven, the further we move away from the poor uncertainties of this world. Let's listen to Jesus as we go here uh, to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. And we'll read down through several verses, but invite you just to follow along in the word as we read this together this morning. Beginning verse 19, chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasures, there your heart will be also. We've heard that before. We understand where we put our focus. I mean, where we focus our energies and where we invest our time and where we put our money, we understand there our heart is also. And then pick up at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So notice the stewardship, you know, question is not just only about the tension that exists between the kingdom of God and this world or this kingdom in which we live and, and, and our stewardship of, of our resources, but it's the stewardship of, of our being, the very stewardship of, of even our eyes, because what we look at and we take in with our eyes, young people, we move it not only into our mind, but we move it into our hearts as well. And then look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, presenting this tension that exists when we ask the question of stewardship or or really spiritual discipline. Then verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single day to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Let us pray. Precious Father, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Father, for your spirit, Lord, that is moving among us. 
and speaking to us. And, Lord, your word that directs us and gives us instruction for life. And I pray that, Father, that, Lord, everything that, that we do right now in this space, Lord, as we gather as, as your community, Father, that you will be glorified. You'll be lifted, Father, as we grow together. So, Father, thank you for the word. I pray that your anointing will be upon it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, I think in a simple but profound way, Jesus, of course, he's here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So you you imagine now he's teaching and he's leading not only the disciples, those around him, and he's highlighting really a basic human concept. And it's dealing with the integrity of our character. And this character issue is basically kind of asking a question that you've heard before. It's not a new question, but I'm going to say it anyhow because it it seems to be so, you know, pat and and simple. But here it is. If you don't stand for for something, you fall for anything. How many have ever heard that before? If you don't stand for something, that you'll fall for anything. And so in all the things that Jesus is addressing, he's addressing many things. And it really has kind of one thread of truth that runs throughout this entire text that we're looking at this morning. But he's asking the question. Listen to me, believer. He's asking the question, what do you stand for? And then with a pretty good, you know, argument following, you know, this 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 question is is his point of trusting God. And and I think the exegesis of the passage, we see Jesus touching on everything from the idea of real treasures being in heaven to living a worry free life. But the predominant challenge of thought calls into view this this idea of a personal examination really is the authenticity of our our Christian faith. Now, if we say Christian, that means that we are followers. Christian means that we are followers of Christ. And faith means that we are taking some kind of action in Christian faith. So what is our action in regards to our faith, right? I mean, that's what this kind of begs here for us and and asks us to ask the question in regards to the authenticity of our Christian faith. Someone once said that faith is kind of like a muscle. And we exercise the muscle and the muscle, you know, begins to evolve and it begins to develop. And and in fact, I lifted weights for 15 years of my life. It may not look like it now, but I did lift weights for a long time. And and as I lifted weights and I began to feed my body and the, the, the muscle began to be shaped and pretty soon the extra fat began to fall off and the muscle, you know, began sinewy and it began to, you know, show some definition. And pretty soon the muscle began to grow and it became larger and larger. And the more that I exercised the, the muscle, the more more effective the muscle was. And you see, our faith is exactly like that. It is something that we exercise and something that we discipline ourselves so that that we are able to respond to the will of God, the plan of God, as he calls us to address this issue that we're calling out this morning called stewardship. Amen. Now, I understand that this this is a challenging question. I mean, I wonder how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder this morning how many of us have ever struggled with paying our tithes. Don't raise your hand. I wonder how many of us have really struggled with this concept of, of, okay, you know, God, tithe, I know that's 10% of my income, and then, you know, I have 90% left to live on, and we understand as believers that God gives it all to us anyhow. It all belongs to God to begin with. But, I mean, to take that step for the very first time, it's a challenging step to take. But, if we are hearing what, what we are taught here in Matthew chapter 6, or what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, that in this life we have about 80 years of life, and then we have all eternity with Christ. And if we are investing in this life, in this temporary life, remember we, we, we said that in the beginning, this temporary life, how much sense is that? I mean, when we look at the priorities of our life, 
What do our priorities tell us if we're spending all eternity in heaven? In fact, how did the, the passage begin? Store up for yourselves where? Treasures in heaven where, where moth and vermin do not destroy or one translation, uh, moth and rust do not destroy. And so we, we store up for our treasures in heaven. And yet, as we look at the priorities of life, I think sometimes we're willing to settle for what we can see rather than what is unseen. This is the learning or the teaching principle that that Jesus gives us here. And I think the sad thing is when we communicate to the world that we have a personal God. Now, listen to this. When we communicate to the world that we have a personal God that offers hope and love, we display a hope and faith or a hope and love for this world. This world that is empty and a world that offers no hope really and no love. And, and the real hope and the real love is Jesus Christ. You believe that? Say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so we are providing this this opportunity. What the scripture does, this opportunity to say to the world that our hope and our love is in Jesus Christ. Now, I think the danger is the person that. That, that wants to, you know, put one foot in one world, you know, that's the kingdom of God, and, and then the other foot in this world. Because that person, as James talks about them, that person is what he calls, what? Double-minded. And that's the double-minded person. The double-minded person says, you know, I want to be a Christian, yes, but I, I still want to do it the way I want to do it. I want to be what I want to be. I want to go there when I want to go there. I want to give what I want to give, and I want to give when I want to give. You see, that's the double-minded man that James talks about. And then in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus really puts a point on it when he says this. He says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back. I mean, think about the analogy there for a moment. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back then is fit for the kingdom of God. So once we've started down this path and once we started along this this journey and saying, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And then we doubt and, and, and look back. So again, James identifies this as a double-minded man. And in fact, he goes on, he's pretty harsh, James is, and he says that this person is worse off than before when they were non-believers, content to know God, but living a fruitless life that is really translated as fake. And poorly, uh, poorly nursed or spiritually wasting away. I mean, there's several ways that we can kind of describe that text as we, we study it. Jesus simplifies it for us, and his parables always do that. When we look at a passage in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 6, he's talking about the parable of the seed. And he talks about the seed that falls on rocky soil. As soon as that it grows up, it's withered away because... It has no moisture. And then he goes further in explaining the parable of the sower, defining the thorns as worries and riches. So these thorns that are choking out the seed or the plant that sprouted up are the thorns and the riches in life. So, again, we have this tension that we noticed in the text in the beginning, this tension between, of course, you know, living for the kingdom of God versus living for this kingdom. So, so what is he driving at? He's driving at the dynamic and the persuasive influences in this life that sometimes come in and choke off the very blessing of eternity that God has for you and wants to pour out on your life. 
It's, it's, it's as fast as a, a hummingbird vine. I remember a neighbor that had brought over, he was kind of a plant guy and garden guy, and he brought over to Heidi and I a hummingbird vine. Anybody hear about that? It's a fast-growing vine, and he brought us a little piece, about six inches of a hummingbird vine, and I planted it in the ground, and I'm not kidding you, in about a month and a half, that thing grew like 15 feet. I mean, it just took off. I mean, this hummingbird vine, it went crazy. It's kind of like the, the kudzu vine in Tennessee. In fact, I have a picture here for you. The kudzu vine in Tennessee, it's a real concern. And in fact, the state of Tennessee is wrestling with this. Um, it, it's, it's not indigenous to the state, um, but it, it's come into the state and it is literally, it is literally suffocating and strangling the force. And so if they do not deal with it right away and they get rid of it, what happens? It absolutely just kills the forest. You see, the persuasive influence of the world is exactly like that. It is coming in, it is wrapping it up, it is choking off the very blessing of eternity itself. And we recognize that that is the challenge because the enemy is working overtime trying to drag us back and drag us away from what God wants to do. Now, I understand learning how to trust God. It's a scary thing. I understand learning how to trust God when it comes to this idea of stewardship or the idea of tithing. I mean, that's the idea. We give 10% to God and we have the 90% left to live on. And that's really kind of the standard the scripture gives us. And understand it's scary. It's kind of like going in a dark tunnel and you, you enter the tunnel and you realize it's dark and you can't see. You don't know the outcome. There's no way that you know the outcome. And giving to God, it begins that way. It can very, be very scary because you just don't know what's going to happen. How am I going to make ends meet at the end of the month? I mean, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to pay my bills? Because when you enter into this, this step of faith, again, it's a spiritual discipline. You enter into the step of faith. It, it is, it, it's scary. I, I know that. To some degree, Americans um, are people who are busy and overwhelmed, suffocating from overwork and tragedy and loneliness. And all of that stuff and all the pressures of life. I mean, how can we find time to serve God? And how can we find the money to be obedient in this one area of stewardship? I think the, the, the challenge for us is to recognize that sometimes we get caught up in doing things for God. I mean, listen to this. We get caught up in doing things for God and we miss out the blessing of doing the things of God. And you see, when we talk about tithing, we talk about stewardship, that is the thing of God. That is what God has called us to do, that we are obedient in our tithes and offerings. And in fact, in Malachi, I might have mentioned this already, but Malachi, it promises that that as you are obedient in giving to God and tithing, he will pour so much blessing out upon you that you will not have enough room to store the blessing that God wants to pour out on your life if you're obedient in tithes and offerings. I praise the Lord that I had a mom and dad that took the time to talk to me as a young kid, an elementary age kid about tithes and about offerings. I remember I'd found a, a, a 50 cent piece. We were going on a, a flight back to Oklahoma. My grandparents were there. We lived in Oregon. And I was just a little kid, maybe 10 years old. And I found a 50 cent piece. And 50 cents was quite a bit back then, by the way. And I found this 50 cent piece. And my dad says, well, you, you, be, you better tithe on that. And I said, I'm not going to tithe. I found it. It's mine. I went to sleep on the plane. And I woke up. 
And I had dropped it when I fell asleep. And I'm telling you what, I got under the chair and crawled through the chairs. I could not find this. I think my dad took it. No, he didn't take it. But, but anyhow, I lost the 50 cent piece. And I'm telling you something, something stuck there in my heart that I was greedy and I was not generous with God. And I missed out on the blessing. It wasn't, but maybe a few months later, we'd come out of the church. It was Sunday morning and it snowed about a foot and a half during church. And I, I, uh, I came outside and I started, dad had pulled the car up there because of the snow. He wanted to give mom an easy access to the car. He pulled up to the curb there in front of the church and, and, uh, I got in the back and as I was getting in, I looked down and there was a dollar in the snow. Somebody dropped a dollar and, uh, just, it's just how God was shaping me as a little kid. And so anyhow, I picked the dollar up and I thought about it. My dad looked at me. He didn't say a word. Maybe been a year since that last experience and, and so I put it in my pocket, and time passed. The next Sunday came, and I put the dollar in the offering plate, the whole dollar. Guess what? True story. That Sunday I came out, I found a $10 bill on the ground. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, God was shaping me as a young man, and I praise the Lord that God used my, my, my parents in that way in teaching this principle. We get caught up in doing things for God, church. And we miss out the blessing of doing the things of God. And this biblical principle, you see, this is the thing of God that God has called us to. And I think in the last verse, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the last verse in the text, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. It gives us a, a couple things to look at here. And the first is this. The Lord admonishes us to seek the kingdom And not worry about the material possessions that we have. Did you catch that? To not worry about the material possessions that we have. Folks, I want to say this. I think we are living in a blessed time. I mean, this is a more blessed generation and time, I think, in, in all the world than it's ever been. I mean, we are blessed and we have a roof over our heads and we have food. We get to go to lunch today and, and, and man, we are ble- We have big screen TVs and we have air conditioning. Some of us have air conditioning and we have heat and, and we are living in a blessed time. And when this biblical principle kicks in and we realize that principle is giving to God out of love because the love we have for him. That he blesses that spiritual discipline in a way that you cannot measure. You say, well, pastor, I'm not that all blessed and life isn't. Well, folks, why don't you talk to some of the 10 to 20,000 homeless people that's on the street in San Diego right now. We're blessed. Or the, the gals, the girls that are being trafficked back and forth across the border. And that's another message that we need to get into and those social conditions and those needs. But the fact is, we are living in a blessed time. And probably everyone in the sanctuary this morning were blessed. And we, if we follow this biblical principle that we give to the Lord because when he's commanded us to, and two, it's the way that we say to him, I love you, God. There will be blessing in your life like you cannot imagine. He promises us this. So the Lord admonishes us to seek his kingdom instead of worrying about material you know, possessions. Bless the Lord. The second thing in this passage, this verse... Seeking the kingdom first brings the promises of God to your doorstep. In fact, this is where you fill in the notes in your bullets and if you're doing that. And that if we seek his kingdom first, it brings the promises of God to your doorstep. And you can never go wrong. I guess this is the idea. You will never go wrong putting God first. That's the principle. I love the story 
that uh, I read of Pavel Goa. Pavel Goa is a Christian and he's now an editor of a Christian magazine. But he tells the story before, you know, he got into his Christian, you know, career. He he was a subcontractor and he had a, a company where he had installed windows in new buildings in Romania. And uh, he, he, he was a young man that dearly loved the Lord. He'd pray in the morning and read his Bible and get up early. And he stood on the promises of God in Isaiah, I think, around chapter 50, where it talks about that the Lord will wake me and prepare me for learning of the day. And he promised God, I will let you wake me. And he'd get up very early to study his Bible and read and pray and worship God. And he, he begins to tell the story how he'd gotten a contract to put in several hundred windows in this multi-story building. And they had started the job. And after about a week into the job, they got a message that the president of Romania was coming to their city there in Romania. The president of Romania was coming to the city and the superintendent, knowing that Pavel was a Christian, kind of looking at him as he was making the announcement. He said, we're all going to start working seven days a week, knowing that Pavel, you know, recognized the Sabbath, went to church on Sunday. We're all going to work seven days a week until the job is done. We no longer have three months. We only have two months to finish the job. And Pavel, he thought about it and prayed quickly. And he said to the superintendent, he says, sir, I don't mean any disrespect, but I'm not missing the Sabbath. You know, I'm not going to miss the Sabbath. I'm, I'm going to get the job done. In fact, my team, I promise you, we will get the job done early. We're only going to work Monday through Friday. We'll get the job done early. He warned him, well, I'm going to dock you for two days a week work and all this stuff. Anyhow, they worked only five days a week. And you know what happened? Pavel and his team got all the windows installed, completed the contract, not in two months, but literally in three weeks. Well, when he went into the office there, the construction trailer in the office to get his check, they handed him the check, and the check was only worth 10% of the contract. He said, well, it's because you didn't work Saturday and Sunday all the next, you know, for the two months. And, and so he only got 10%. Well, he kind of argued, and then he talked to the general manager of the project. And then finally, he got an audience with the CEO. And the CEO said, well, I'll meet you on Monday at 8 a.m. If you're one minute late, I won't see you. I won't pay you nothing. Again, kind of slamming the phone down. Well, Monday came and the Lord had faithfully woke him up plenty early to do all of his worship and Bible reading. And what happened is on Monday, he didn't wake up until 7.50 a.m. He was supposed to be at the meeting at 8 a.m. He woke up at 7.50 a.m. He threw his clothes on and began to rush out the door. And his dad said, hey, Pavel, aren't you going to read your Bible and pray like you do every morning? And he just kept on running. The door shut behind him down the sidewalk. He didn't get but a few steps. And the Holy Spirit whispered in his ear and he stopped. And he went back inside and he got his Bible. And Pavel, just his mid-twenties, he began to read the Bible and pray and he began to worship. He got caught up in worshiping God and praying and loving God and putting him first for two hours. For two hours, he finished his worship time and he just gave it to the Lord. And he said, well, I'll just go to the office, see what happens. He goes to the CEO's business office. He arrives and the secretary says, you're late. Yeah, I know. And he's being humble. I know. I understand. But, you know, well, you're late. And, and, and so he, he wasn't able to see. You. In fact, he would have not been able to see you anyhow at all because a, a, an agent from uh, some government agency had shown up and he had to give a report to this, you know, government agent. And so you would not have been able to see him anyhow. And so he, he's listening to this and he felt, I guess, you know, the money's gone. I'm trusting you, God. So he turned around to leave. And about that time, the door opens and he sees the CEO and the agent that's working for the government. And at that time, the CEO runs out and grabs Pavel. 
And he takes him back into his office. I don't know what had transpired. He didn't know what transpired. But the, the CEO apologized to him profusely and asked him about his contract. Two days later, he gets a check in the mail for the full amount of the contract. And there's a note on the contract that said, paid in full. <laughs> because he put God first. You see, that's what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has paid your account in full. And Jesus has, has made the sacrifice for you. You see, the biblical principle that we're looking at here, this idea of stewardship, that's the whole concept. It's about putting God first. And maybe for you, putting God first means full-time Christian ministry. Maybe putting God first, it's that, that bitter spirit or an attitude that you've had. And you're, you're laying it just at the feet of, of the cross this morning. Maybe that, that bitter or maybe putting God first means that you, it's a sin that you need to talk to God about. You need to give that up because it's affecting your life. But for every one of us, as we just analyze the text and see what Jesus is challenging with, we recognize that putting God first means that it affects every one of our checkbooks. It affects our income, it affects our money, it affects our stewardship, it affects how much we love God. And we, we give to God not because we want blessing in return, we give because we love God. Amen. We give because we love God. And I don't know what God is saying to you or how he's stirring your heart. Or maybe, maybe the Lord is speaking to you about something in your life. Something that you're allowing to exist in your life and it's gotten between you and God. And that's an issue of stewardship and God is wanting to address that in your heart this morning. You see, I I believe that when we trust and we obey God, God blesses. For some reason, I type this as my last thought right here. I type this out. For some reason, God measures our faith directly by our ability to trust him to provide. Let me read that again. For some reason, God measures our faith directly by our by our ability to trust him to provide. I'm wondering if God is challenging your faith this morning. I'm wondering if if the Lord is just kind of nudging you in that direction to step out in faith and say, Father, I've never done this before. It's scary. It's like going in the dark tunnel and and, and you're really not knowing what you're going to get into. How are you going to make ends meet? How are you going to provide for your family? But folks, the good news is, you want to hear the good news? The news is there's light at the end of the tunnel. And when you're faithful to God and you trust him and you obey, he will bless you more than you can imagine in this area of stewardship. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. And the beginning of that is your trusting him, obeying him to pay your tithes and offerings to him. So let's just worship. I'm going to have the worship team come and we're going to worship. And they have a great worship song. And then we're going to close with a special request that I made this, the, earlier this week. But, but we're going to just worship for a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Maybe to address the stewardship question. Or maybe young people... It's something else that the Lord is wanting you to be obedient to him about. Give it to him and he'll help you with that.